0: Thank you, Matt. Good morning again to everybody. Great to be together. It really is. How blessed we are to be able to come together. Let's continue to remember all of those who have been mentioned in our prayers, all those on the prayer list, and in a special way, let's be sure we remember Teresa Jones and her family at this time of loss. But there are many others. We're thankful for those who are not here during Bible class and right after Bible class. We're thankful for. Uh, along with the angels in heaven for Grover Muckleroy, having put his Lord on in baptism for the remission of his sins. Following study with North, and we're so thankful for that. Please be praying for him as he heads back to Kansas with family where he lives. When I began this new year in preaching, and I was again gone the first Sunday, and thankful for those who filled in for me while I was gone, When I came back on the second Sunday in January, I said I wanted to focus on some lessons that would stimulate us to think about where we're at in our spiritual lives. And since normally the change of a new year, going from the end of one year, beginning a new year, a lot of people think of that as a time for resolutions, a time to refocus, to think about... Where have I been? How's my life been? What do I want to be? What do I want to accomplish? What changes do I need to make? And so I said I wanted to do some lessons focusing upon uh, how I need to look ahead, not just to this year, but to the rest of my life as a Christian. And certainly if I haven't been a Christian, how I can be a Christian. Now first I talked about how can we as a as, the, as a church of the Lord, the congregation of the Lord's church, among the churches of Christ, how can we be the congregation that God wants us to be? Then I followed that up by asking the question, and this would be for, from a, for an individual application, how can I come to the Lord if I'm not yet in the Lord? So we talked about that. And then we followed that up by asking the Next question, what if I've been in the Lord, what if I've been baptized for the remission of my sins, but I slipped back into the ways of the world and became unfaithful again? How can I come back to the Lord? This morning, I want us to ask ourselves, again, looking at it from an individual perspective, the individual personal application, what hinders you from serving God? From being active and following Jesus Christ, From being dedicated to him in a way that is not just verbal or just a good feeling, but in a way that says, yes, I'm putting my faith, I'm putting my commitment, my dedication into action. I'm going to serve my God. I'm going to serve my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on an active, ongoing basis, continually for the rest of my life. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to show my faith in Christ through my works. God went out of his way, out of his way to great lengths to make it possible for you and I to walk with him and serve him in this life and to ultimately live with him in heaven for all of eternity. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, not deserving it, not being able to expect it, or being able to kind of put a a guilt trip on God and say, you owe me this. But while we were still sinners, enemies of God, the text goes on and tells us, Christ died for us. No matter what your past might be, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on that cross for you. And the Lord's invitation is extended to you right now if you have not yet accepted that. Or maybe you have accepted it and then walked away from him and you have not yet come back to him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 6, the Son of Man has come, I'm sorry, chapter 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. When Jesus came into this world, he did not just proclaim a message one time or just declare himself, here I am, I'm the Savior now, but he went around continually teaching the message of salvation, the gospel of Christ, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And his great invitation is still extended. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, come to me, he still says. And that's an invitation to you personally if you need to come to him. Yet, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul wrote, for we are his workmanship. Now a lot of people, they will read verses 8 and 9 where it says that we have been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And they'll usually stop there, has been my observation. The very next verse is part of the same immediate context. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so here is the question for each one of us again today. What should I do? What hinders me from serving God? How can I be active in serving my Lord? In Titus chapter 2, in verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Can we sit on the sidelines, so to speak, of our Christianity and just say, that's, that's okay, I don't need to do anything. That's for somebody else. Or what do these verses say? They say that we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. When we were born again into him as we were baptized for the remission of our sins, we became a new creation spiritually and we became a new identity. And part of that identity is that we are to take part in the good works that God has prepared for us to take part in. We're to be zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. You should be zealous to to actively serve him through good works. Good works that God has prepared. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? When we talk about being actively involved in the good works that God has prepared for us to be involved in individually through the talents and the abilities and the opportunities that he has bestowed upon us. Why is it that most people don't get involved? At all. Probably a great majority. But even those who might say, okay, well, yeah, I mean, but, but just in a small, small way. Not very consistent, not Much of an ongoing, active involvement. And many of those who would say, well, I do get involved, they're not serving God on his terms. They're doing what they want to do. And it's kind of what Jesus pointed to in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, done mighty works in your name? And, and so he said, but, but I'm going to tell them, depart from me, you're evildoers, I never knew you. Now they were involved in what they would have considered to be good works, but not on God's terms. They were kind of making it up on their own, doing what they wanted to be doing, and calling it the good works serving God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we need to come to him, we need to serve him, we need to be Christians on his terms and serve him in his way. Why is it the case that so many don't take that active role? Why is that? Is something hindering you from serving God? Let's look at some examples of situations or things in the minds of people that can hinder them from serving God. Some people are hindered from serving God by sin in their lives. They just don't want to give up sin. But Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, in other words your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. We cannot live in sinfulness and just disobedience to God's word. That in itself is what we might call uh, we, we might call sin. Certainly, but sins of omission. We think about sins of commission, where we do something that is that is in contradiction to what God's will tells us to do, or we break His His instructions in some way. But sins of omission are just as sinful when I don't do what God tells me to do. In Romans chapter six, beginning with verse 12, we read that sin becomes an overwhelming force in our lives when we let it. Now, the devil can't make us sin. I think uh, someone referred to Flip Wilson, old TV show where he used a line repeatedly, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil doesn't make us do anything. We may submit to the temptations that the devil confronts us with, but we make the decisions ourselves. We give in. And Paul very aptly puts it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Do not let sin reign or rule your mortal body, your life, so that you should obey it in its lusts. Because verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We want that eternal life, but in order for us to be able to look forward to that with confidence and assurity, we have to put sin out of our lives. We cannot live lifestyles of sin, but a lot of people, they don't want to give up the sin. We need to understand, though, that keeps us away from God, and it keeps us ultimately out of heaven. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, John the Apostle wrote, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, we might say of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, well, that's not of the Father, but is of the world. Those are worldly traits and characteristics, not godly. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We need to come to grips with the reality of what that particular text of Scripture says. If we're living in a sinful lifestyle, we're not walking with God. Now, a lot of people, they want to, they you know, kind of take a real spiritual-sounding tone as they say, Oh, I love God. I've got a great relationship with my Lord. But they're living in sin. If you're living in sin, you're not walking with God. James said in James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But in order for me to be able to draw near to God and know that he's drawn near to me, I'm walking with him, he's watching over me, I've got to resist the devil. I've got to put him out of my life. Simply put, sin is lawlessness, 1 John 3 and verse 4, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. When I'm sinning, I'm breaking God's law. So some people are hindered from serving God by sin in their life. Sin that they're not ready to give up, but that sin will keep them out of heaven. Remember again, the wages of sin is death, ultimately eternal condemnation or death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But those two statements are in contrast to one another in that one short verse of scripture. If I want the eternal life, I've got to be in Christ and I've got to be dedicated and committed and faithful to him. I cannot let sin have reign in my body. Verse 12 of Romans chapter six. Some people are hindered from serving God by false doctrines of men. True honor can be given to God only on his terms. A lot of people, they want to do it on their terms to make themselves feel okay, but we have to honor God, we have to praise him, we have to glorify him on his terms, through his instructions. Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 7, Jesus said, hypocrites, they're speaking to the Jewish to to some of the Jewish people there who believed in God, considered themselves to be God's people. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. In other words, give me lip service, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They were making up doctrines on their own that contradicted the teachings of God. And they were imposing those doctrines not only on themselves but on others. But Paul, when he was writing to the Galatian Christians, he warned them. First, he rebuked them, but it was also a warning. He said, beginning of verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel and then he said which is not another because you see once we change God's word it is no longer God's word once we change the gospel it's no longer the true gospel so he said but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert or twist or change the gospel of Christ and then he he very emphatically said but even if we, we who, apostles, or maybe those who were working with him on his team as he was preaching the word throughout that area, but even if we are an angel from heaven, now that's, that's a suggestive thought, not saying that would ever happen, but it's the idea that even if an angel from heaven came down and preached to you another, any other gospel than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed this is how serious it is to stay in the truth of God's word. Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1 and verse 16. And then Paul goes on and he brings it more down to a realistic level. And he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, any human being preaches any other gospel to you than what you have, you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. We need to come to God on his terms. We need to not substitute false doctrines for God's true teachings. When Paul was visiting with the elders from the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he warned them about false doctrines that would be coming up on the horizon, that would lead people astray, lead Christians away from the truth, away from God. He said, "Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock, that is, to all the congregation, over which among uh, uh, among, the whole, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood." So I know that now. What does a shepherd do? Protects the flock, right? And so Paul is using vivid imagery to help them understand you're supposed to be protecting this congregation over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come. Wild animal wolves? No. Again, metaphor. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among your own selves men will arise, will rise up, speaking perverse or twisted things, things that are not true, to draw away disciples after themselves. So he's saying, be on guard, be alert, be uh, ready. You are the elders of this particular congregation in the city of Ephesus. You be alert, you be on guard against false teachings that may rise up, because the devil's going to guide them to happen. In 1 John chapter, I'm sorry, uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 9, there Paul, after he's talking about the qualities that ought to be inherent within elders, in verse 9 he says, holding fast the faithful word as you have been taught that you may be able by sound doctrine or true teaching both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the elders in the congregation always must be watchful and attentive and on guard to be able to recognize and then correct any false teaching that may come in because it's not just their souls that are at stake, it's the souls of all of the congregation over which they are leading or have been made overseers, bishops, elders, presbyters, Some people are hindered from serving God by sin in their lives that they don't want to give up. Some people are hindered from serving God by false doctrines of men that confuse them and lead them astray. Some people are hindered from serving God by self-will, self-will. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 describes the danger of this vividly. The prophet wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray for we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him that is on Christ prophesying what he would do sending Christ into the world the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophet's warning, we're like sheep gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We cannot follow God our way. We have to follow God God's way. We have to submit our will to his will. We are mortal. We do not have the wisdom and the all complete knowledge of God. The the wise man wrote in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. We've all made those kinds of mistakes mistakes on a lower scale, haven't we? Not ending up in death necessarily, but, but making mistakes that may have been rather cataclysmic to our personal lives. But we thought we were doing good, but we weren't paying close enough attention. Is this what God really wants us to do? Is this in keeping with his teachings? We need to examine continually The Jews were condemned for following their own will over God's will. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. What a great testimony to Jesse, coming from God himself. But look at the contrast in Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then he goes on and and. and, and Illustrates, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, their own will, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now what was the contrast? God said, David is a man after my own heart who surrenders his will to my will. But for the Jews, generally speaking, Paul said they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. And they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. How sad. So some people are hindered from serving God by sin in their lives that they don't want to give up. Some people are hindered from serving God by false doctrines of men that have led them astray, that they've given into. Maybe they have not studied those scriptures carefully enough to recognize the error of those particular teachings. Some people are hindered from serving God by self-will, doing what they want to do on their own and not following the true teachings and the will of God. Some people are hindered from serving God the cares of the world. In Matthew chapter 13 beginning with verse 22 Jesus said and he's explaining the parable of the sower and so he says now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. We understand the principle, don't we? If you're going to plant a garden, you don't want to plant it among thorns and thistles because those will grow up along with whatever it is you want to plant and they will choke out whatever that is that you want to grow in that particular place. You're going to remove the thorns and the thistles before you plant the seed that you want to produce into whatever it is you want to come up. And so he says, the one who receives the word... It is among the thorns, he's one, and again, this is all illustrative, he's the one who hears the word, but he keeps the cares of the world in his heart. And so the word, the teachings, it can't really germinate and grow and produce effectively from the spiritual perspective in his life. The cares of the world are still there, overwhelming the Wisdom and the teachings of God. And so the cares of the world choke out those teachings. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 3, Paul wrote, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We have to make up our minds. We have to focus, and we have to stay true to the course. Remember, nothing of this world is going to be in heaven. 1 John 2 and verse 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides or lives forever. We need to focus. We need to set our minds Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1, if you then were risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Where is our focus? Is it just on things of this world, matters of this physical life? Or are we focused foremost on getting to heaven? I've said in teaching for decades, if we don't get to heaven, we failed. The only thing that matters in life, ultimately, bottom line, foundationally, fundamentally, is getting to heaven. Now you can start retorting and say, well, what about this? If you don't get to heaven, none of that matters. I had a lady tell me one time, well, don't you think I ought to be taking somebody with me? And my response to that retort is, if you ain't going, you ain't taking nobody with you. I hope you understand the emphasis through the poor grammar there. If you're not going to heaven, you're not gonna take anybody with you to heaven. That's what matters most. That ought to be our main focus, getting to heaven and being the influence that we can be and should be to help other people get to heaven and there is the principle of serving God. So some people are hindered by sin in their lives that they don't want to give up. They're not ready to give up. Some people are hindered by false teachings that have led them astray, and they don't know the word true enough, thoroughly enough to be able to recognize that those are false teachings. Some people are hindered from serving God by self-will. They don't want to give up their own will and submit their will to God's will for their lives. Some people are hindered from serving God by the cares of the world. They're caught up in all the kinds of things that go on in life, and so they're more interested in whatever it might be, recreational pursuits, uh, parties, whatever it might be, and that keeps them from serving God effectively and consistently. Some people are hindered from serving God by fear, fear. Well, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Faith ought to overcome fear in our lives. Faith ought to overcome fear. As the prodigal son's father lovingly accepted him back, God is waiting for us to come to him. And if we need to come back to him, he's still waiting for us to come to him. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but we can rely on his power to see us through. You need to identify anything that might be hindering you from serving God. Doctrines of men, false teaching, self-will, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to submit to God's will for my life. Cares of this world. Yeah, a lot of things I like. I don't want to give up. Fear. Crippling, paralyzing fear. Not trusting God to deliver you. Sin in your life that you don't want to give up. Well, are you allowing anything to cause you to lose your soul? Is anything worth losing your soul over? Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus asks the question, What profits is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Some people get all caught up in the ways of this world, the things of this world, the cares of this world. They accumulate a lot of things. Big house, expensive cars, clothes with all the right tags on them. They've got the latest and greatest electronic technology in their homes and at their disposal. Now, what does any of that mean when they're breathing their last breath? It means nothing. They're going to leave it all behind. At that point, they're facing eternity. They'll be facing their Lord sitting on his judgment seat. Nothing that has kept them away from their Lord or that has in their mind put him in second place in their life, none of that will matter. None of that will matter. Are you allowing something to cause you to lose your soul? Again, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you need to become a Christian, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in your Lord as God's Son and your Lord and Savior, ready to surrender to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross will cleanse you of the guilt of your sins, we want to help you with that this morning. If you need to study some more, we'll study with you if you just ask us. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever situation in your life, maybe you need to come back to the Lord, having strayed away from him after becoming a Christian. We're here to pray with you and help you. Whatever the need, we want to help you. If you need to come, won't you come right now? Don't let anything hinder you from coming to your Lord and serving him until that day when you can be with him for all of eternity as we stand and sing.